Hello, I'm Brett Terpstra, and you're listening to Systematic. This week's guest is Jared Rodriguez. He's a return guest that I've been looking forward to talking to. Uh, currently an assistant professor at the University of Alabama, teaching in the Department of Gender and Race Studies. How's it going, Jared? I don't even know how to answer that question, uh, given uh, the dumpster fire um, that we're all uh, <laughs> warming, currently warming ourselves by. Uh, but I'm healthy. Uh, my kids are healthy and, uh, uh, you know, and currently enrolled in uh, distance learning through the, uh, Chicago public school system. So, uh, yeah, I'd consider that, uh, (laughs) pretty well. So all things considered. So you have kids doing distance learning, distance learning. I assume you're also teaching distance. I am. I am. Uh, yeah, I'm teaching a, a graduate seminar right now. It is a, a very strange experience to watch my kids be much more effectively educated uh, than I feel like I am doing with my students. So I'm definitely uh, stealing things from uh, their pre-kindergarten educators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you feel the... Uh... The country in general did with the the sudden switch to everyone doing distance learning. It's a hard question to answer because the lack of a of a a reference point or com- point of comparison uh, means that uh, um, you know it's uh, it's like parenting for me. You know, in the rearview mirror, I can get some sense of a uh, uh, okay, maybe uh, I could have done that better, or maybe I really did uh, uh, overachieve in that instance. Um, but I think that overwhelmingly, I, I think that a pretty poor job was done in regards to administration um, and sort of foot dragging around making decisions um, and a sort of uh, exceedingly, amazingly, incomprehensibly good job was done by uh, um, by most teachers and families in trying to, you know, really pull together to try to make the best of a really, really, really difficult situation. So, um, you know, we'll see. It's like, you know, our, our, uh, our experiment is still ongoing. Sure. Um, but I would say that it was a, a pretty Herculean effort, I think, um, on behalf of most uh, families and teachers. And I think if if anything, you know, if if what we've struggled through is a guide, you know, we could see the utility in, in making difficult um, decisions uh, uh, sooner and, uh, um, you know, in regards to, to thinking about whether next semester might be online, um, yeah. and then being able to offer everyone more time and and more resources to to prepare, because that's ultimately, you know, what has proven uh, to be a decisive factor in in you know people's success. But yeah, I feel like this game of uh, of telling everyone, yeah, we're going to get back to in person classes, and then canceling it the week of or even a week into it, and not being prepared for. The alternative uh, seems detrimental to study. Like, I understand that distance learning probably it has a lot of issues in uh, comparison to in-person learning. But if you if you don't give it a fair chance with appropriate preparation, of course, it's going to be worse. Yeah, the the strange thing for me is, is that. I don't even know if we can actually compare them, given the experience that we have. I guess for me, I, I wouldn't say that what I'm doing now or what I, you know, what most people are experiencing now is actually a uh, um, anything approximating sort of even uh, 50% of best practices when it comes to online or distance education, right? Sure. Um, so I don't even know if we the sheer volume of, uh, you know, of folks doing distance or online education, um, I think that really makes some of the previous studies or data that we have on it. Um, I don't know, it, 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 it makes me question how applicable it is, uh, given that, uh, um, you know, it's, a, it's such a smaller sample size. It's many of the the uh, criteria that sort of that uh, were were used to analyze the efficacy of uh, distance learning programs or online learning programs, they're just fundamentally, you know, different uh, just because of the scale. So I, uh, you know, I think the jury's still out. <laughs> uh, um, 
and I think that you know uh, that it's a reminder that that you know these are not normal times. This is not normal distance learning, um, and uh, and I think we do well to 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 remember that. I I uh, um, you know what came to mind immediately was that uh, uh, was uh, just in time delivery. Right. Yeah. Um, if just in time delivery is, you know, it's a sort of means of optimizing supply chains, right, to sort of to lower uh, um, supposedly, right, uh, lower the cost to, uh, of goods to the consumer in the end. Right. Because uh, yeah. um, retailers, right, they pay less for transportation, less for storage, yada, yada, yada. If that doesn't hasn't really proven to be uh, a particularly resilient uh, means of organizing, you know, manufacturing and distribution, it for damn sure is not going to be uh, a particularly effective way of approaching education. Sure. <laughs> right. And that's what we had. Right. We had the, an attempt right, to pull off just in time <laughs> delivery for, uh, uh, you know, for a massive shift to online education. You know, the, the biggest shift in public education in you know, I, I I can't even you know maybe since you know the broadening of uh, uh, you know the desegregation right for instance of American public education um, I I would you know be open to, to to argument but but I think the scale of what we are currently undergoing is is really hard for us to wrap our heads around and and I think that 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 is one of the 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 biggest concerns is that in the interest of of you know not freaking people out right and maintaining some semblance of of normalcy right that we downplay just how massive uh a shift this is from not only what we're used to but the conditions that we're that we uh um you know that we've all learned to educate under and mm -hmm. you know and be educated under Right. Um, you know, the I think that uh, um, there is a, a lot of legitimate concern about students, you know, being able to transition right to online education and that those are very, 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 very serious. Uh, and uh, but we also have to think, you know, as part and parcel to that, um, that the overwhelming majority of of educators, right, whether they be you know primary, secondary, sort of uh, 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 college, right, um, have not um, received any training, uh, um, almost no training in uh, how to, you know, how to effectively teach in this way. Um, and so, yeah, it's a uh, it's been a struggle, and and that's part of why I. You know, I I really do think that that the fact that it has been as successful as it has been um, is a testament to to just how committed right uh, families and teachers are to trying to make it work in in really really difficult uh, circumstances. How how do you think it has affected um, different uh, across the racial divide? Um, there obviously there's um disparity in schools and education in general did yeah. did yeah. distance learning make that worse i think that you know first we need to you know <laughs> uh, um you know take a step back right um you know uh uh you know the the thinking about the way that you know the shift to distance learning um you know has affected the the racial divides in in you know um uh in uh, the availability of quality public education in the United States is much like you know um worrying about sort of a, a new leak that's sprung in a, in the roof of a house that's already been condemned right uh, um and i use that metaphor to to just to 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 offer you a um you know the picture was pretty bleak uh before the the shift to distance learning right um yeah. and you know there there the shift to distance learning is i think another opportunity for us to look at just how 
pervasive and and deep the the racial inequality runs right in 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 this country in general and sort of as it's expressed in you know access to quality public education but i think that um you know one of the the difficult things in in looking at how people were um, engaging with the, the, you know, the question of, uh, uh, should we shift to distance or should we maintain sort of in-person schooling? Um, you know, in, in some part, right. Hinged on the question of, well, right. With students who don't have, you know, who, who are, you know, uh, amongst, uh, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh, racially oppressed sort of groups in, in this country who are not, you know, who don't have, equity, right, or sort of equitable access to, um, whether it be sort of uh, um, as families, right, socioeconomic opportunities, right, healthcare, right, you can go down the, the, the list that schools actually provide, right, um, uh, they provide health services, right, they provide food, they provide sort of a, a, a you know, in very, very significant ways, uh, uh, one of the last bastions of, you know, the, the, the continually shredding social safety net in this country have been public schools. Yeah. Right. Um, so that the idea of, uh, uh, suggesting that we take that away from students who really need it, right. Who are going to struggle at home, right. Families who are going to struggle to feed their children, right. Or the, the kinds of, uh, us, uh, you know, developmental, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, therapeutic services, right. Whether they be in the form of, uh, um, you know, IEPs or individual education plans that students with disabilities have, or students who, uh, who receive counseling in school, right. It's, uh, um, it's almost a no brainer, right. If the alternative is put kids in a situation where they're not going to eat, not going to get healthcare, not going to get the kinds of therapeutic services that they need. Sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, right. Or put them in that. But that, you know, is a, uh, um, you know, it's a false dichotomy. Right. In a certain sense, in that um, uh, what we're doing here is we're being forced to suggest that sort of the sacrifice of the health and well-being of communities, which include teachers. Right. Which includes sort of the the elderly, you know, family members of, of students. Right. A, a broader community that sort of that come together to make a school, a neighborhood school, right? Um, that we shouldn't sort of calculate the public health risk in that, you know, from that end, and that we shouldn't be thinking about, okay, maybe, you know, a public school is not the best place to offer, you know, uh, non-comprehensive and sort of piecemeal <laughs> healthcare services. Maybe, you know, it would think these kinds of things would not be as big of an issue if we had, for instance, right, um, universal health care in this country, right? If we had sort of a guaranteed uh, 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 livable minimum wage, right? If we had the 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 kinds of you know universally available uh, 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 guarantees for sort of a, a minimum standard of living, right? Yeah. That almost every other country in the quote unquote you know developed world uh, uh, has, right? And so. Um, you know, I think that the question of of uh, uh, virtual schooling or in-person schooling, you know, really uh, makes broader social questions, broader political questions, broader economic questions and the kinds of inequalities that exist in this country. Right. It it sharpens them to the point um, where they're completely unavoidable. Right. And uh, um, and I'm not here to say that, um, you know, that we should not think about right? Uh, uh, students who are going to be hungry, right? Uh, you know, and sort of uh, uh, leave them to their own devices, right? For instance, here in Chicago, one of the amazing things they did this summer, right? They couldn't have summer school, but what, what many of the schools did was that they organized uh, a lunch distribution, right? In ways that sort of families could come pick up food, right? Um, there are many ways that sort of the, the, that, um, you know, while suboptimal, of course, that that schools still can continue to provide some of those services and and resources that they did provide, you know, without having to necessarily subject right the the uh, you know our communities, right, our school communities, our public school communities to the kinds of risks, right, um, that they are you know uh, uh, disproportionately uh, uh, ill-equipped in regards to access to resources to to really deal with. 
So you're saying that threatening to remove funding from schools that didn't reopen on your schedule might be detrimental to a broad, who would have thought? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's bad for public health. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, ultimately the, the, you know, the, in my opinion, the responsible thing to do would be to actually increase, right. Um, uh, funding, right. Well, there, yeah. If there, if there were monies, right. Which, which, you know, the, the, you know, sort of the, the department of education allocated, right. Uh, 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 pandemic response funds, for instance, to schools who would commit to reopening, right. There was a commitment of an increase in funding, right. Right. So there was, there were resources available. Well, what if those resources were still given to schools who desperately needed them even before the pandemic and actually helped facilitate, right, schools being a, a, a central locus, right, of, uh, uh, you know, of community uh, uh, care in regards to public health, right? And, and you know, a lot of the, the, you know, I'm not, it couldn't completely mitigate this, but sort of maintaining the sense of community Right. Maintain, uh, maintaining a sense of sort of regularity in regards to, to, to uh, um, you know, to relationships that are being built between students and teachers and administrators. Right. Um, that there. Right. Uh, uh, there have been there's, you know, proof. Right. In, you know, family and teacher and in some cases in administration led initiatives. Right. To have schools continue to be some kind of resource, right, even in the absence of in-person schooling that I think are instructive, right, about how we might think about a post-pandemic, right, uh, um, uh, engagement with, with how public schools work in our communities. Yeah. So you're teaching a master's doctoral seminar on data algorithms and blackness. I am. Tell me what that yeah. means. <laughs> I don't know. Well, one of the beautiful <laughs> things about uh, um, about being a professor is that uh, uh, you get to be a little selfish. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, not always, but sometimes. Um, and I got the opportunity to create um, a seminar on uh, a topic of my own choosing. And uh, and I, for a very, very, very long time, you know, I'm a nerd. You know, <laughs> um, which I'm sure will come as no surprise uh, to you, but I'm a big nerd. And uh, um, and I, you know what, I, for me, one of the things that drives me towards research projects is my general sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, struggle with being articulate right, uh, leads me to trying to develop and refine ways to, to more effectively communicate and more effectively communicate things that I see, right, either political dynamics or, you know, uh, uh, structures uh, happening around me that we don't necessarily have the resources or the, the you know, the, the tools to effectively talk about and or communicate about, right? Yeah. And so, um, one of those things that sort of married, right, my my general sort of uh, uh, lifelong project of trying to uh, uh, be better at talking to people and also sharing with them things that I see that I think are important uh, um, is this class, right, is this class, which is really trying to grapple with um, the way that um, you know, what in the field of critical algorithmic studies is called the algorithmic turn or the turn, you know, sort of the the big datification of social science research. Right. And, you know, I, I, I don't think it'll come as a surprise to you that that, uh, uh, um, you know, that or maybe, well, I don't know, uh, or, or the listeners, right, that many of the same dynamics right around how people think about data and algorithms, right, and sort of the general public are actually how they're thought about in academia, right? The presumption, right, that we that uh, uh, data and algorithms are in some way uh, um, a more neutral or objective sure. form of tool for uh, analysis or assessment, right? Um, and, uh, you know, then thinking about what the knock-on effects of that um, are. For instance, some of the things that we're talking about in our class are what does it mean Right. When uh, um, uh, an algorithm is um, assessing whether or not someone is uh, fit for parole. Right. And yeah. that analysis includes a lot of 
you know, a lot of factors, uh, some of which are clear to sort of the prisons or or uh, or courts using right the algorithms to assess whether or not someone is a, a, a you know is a good candidate for parole, and some of which are not right because the algorithms are uh, um, you know intellectual property, and thus uh, uh, you know sort of the the there's a, a layer of obfuscation that exists between what the variables are right uh, that are being assessed and sort of the decision uh, being rendered right. Um, um, or, or any uh, other number, you know, that data and algorithms, right, are used in uh, our broader society uh, uh, in ways that are really deeply entangled with historic and contemporary forms of uh, of racial, right, or gender uh, uh, inequality, right. I'll get one one thing that that really uh, blew my mind from one of my students, um, uh, a project that they came up with. Um, was uh, um, the way that um, public transportation, right, sort of, uh, for example, bus routes, right, sort of the optimization of bus routes to shift resources, right, uh, to uh, rush hour, right, actually can deepen uh, um, inequality in the labor market, right? So folks who are underemployed, Right or who you know have uh, uh, um, you know regularly uh, uh, changing sort of job shifts right in retail right Starbucks or any other number of sort of service industry jobs where sort of uh, uh, just in time employment schedules right, sure, right. Uh, are employed right that um, the optimization of 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 a bus route to shift resources uh, um, you know towards rush hour and away from you know, quote unquote, uh, 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 non, you know, heavy traffic, uh, times actually makes it more difficult, right. For underemployed or, or, uh, folks or folks who are, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, don't have regular schedules to be able to make it to work on time. Yeah. Right. And if we look at sort of it from a, a you know, quote unquote, a, 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 you know, as a, as merely sort of a neutral shifting of resources to optimize, right, uh, where they're being allocated, we we wouldn't see that, yeah. right? So that's one example, right? And you know, there are a whole host of different um, uh, of different examples that that allow us to see, right, the utility of what some folks are are, are calling or developing as sort of algorithmic justice. Which is to say, um, when data and algorithms are used in, in public life, right, by municipal authorities or any other sort of uh, authorities that are that are you know sort of charged with their uh, uh, mandate by uh, um, you know by by uh, by the public or sort of utilize uh, you know sort of uh, uh, taxpayer funds or public funds, right, that. Uh, the communities that are going to be affected by the decisions in which these algorithms are being used, that they should be engaged and involved in those processes of deciding how the algorithms are going to be used, right? Involved in, in, in deciding whether or not an algorithm should be used in the first place, right? Um, so, for instance, right, in, in, in this, uh, uh, you know, in the, the bus route example, right? That there be a community, you know, that there be community representatives involved, right, who have a sense of how, right, uh, what the effect of this this uh, supposedly neutral optimization of taxpayer money is 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 actually going to do, right? Or in the instance of, uh, you know, when algorithms are being used in in sentencing or in parole, right, uh, questions that you know that folks involved and engaged in uh you know in that community right not merely from the prosecutorial side right uh uh but form the formerly incarcerated right that they be involved in those you know in in shaping how the tools are used yeah right because you know we can see that if we just assume a uh, a neutral sort of valence right to the to you know to data and algorithms right that uh, uh, we do so, um, you know, at our own peril if we are concerned or worried about, right, the deepening of uh, 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 structural inequalities. So if there's a, a lack of equality in the way that algorithms are implemented, do you think there's malice in some cases, uh, whether it's sentencing or bus schedules? Do you think that there is an intentional... Um, use of the algorithm to 
benefit one class of people over another? I, you know, not necessarily, but this is one of those uh, um, examples, right, of how, you know, I, I don't think so, um, but I would say that because, you know, the absence, right, of sort of an intentional or our ability to see any kind of intentional malice on the part, right, of folks who are, you know, who purport to merely be wanting to sort of, uh, uh uh, minimize inefficiency, right, in regards to sort of the spending of taxpayer money, right? It's a fairly laudable goal. Let's not waste money, right? Sure. <laughs> um, uh, you know, because there are other places where we need it, but but um, one can see that that the you know that malice or sort of an intent, right, to deepen systematic inequality is actually not necessary, right? In this instance, sure, you could just really care about not wasting money. Right. Um, and it's a question of, well, who, you know, who is the public who are that we are serving in regards to public transportation? And if we have to triage, who are we going to prioritize? So, right. And that comes from a sort of a, a you know, comes from a scarcity model or a presumption that that that, uh, um, you know, the William James has a beautiful quote, sort of uh, uh, um, never confuse uh, the field of your vision for the limits of the world. Right. Um, that when it comes to funding for public transportation. Right. Um, who's to say that, uh, uh, you know, that this budget is the, you know, the appropriate budget. Right. Or that this is the place that we need to be, quote unquote, cutting the fat or that, you know. Uh, uh, the sacrifice of uh, the the capacity of of you know underemployed folks or folks who who you know have less control or say about their job schedules are less important in regards to to uh, um, you know serving as a as a public right than folks who you know take the train uh, on a regular schedule uh, 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 you know during rush hour. Sure. So. So yeah. not necessary. <laughs> and that's part of the reason that I teach this, that I'm teaching this course in the first place, right? Is that, you know, a uh, common sense understanding of a way to fight oppression or way to fight racism or sexism, right? Is you find the people wearing the t-shirts, you find the people wearing the MAGA hats, right? Yeah. Um, and part of what the contribution that I'm trying to make with, you know, an understanding of, uh, you know, using data and algorithms in the way that they're, you know, their, their purported, uh, uh, neutrality, right. The neutrality that they grant, right. The, the, you know, the operations or sort of ends that they're put to, right. Um, one, one thing that emerges, right. From looking at that is, you know, the powerful tool of, of, of being able to, to see, right. That, you don't have to be wearing a MAGA hat. You don't have to be wearing the T-shirt, right? In order to be someone who is committed to or something that is committed to, uh, um, you know, uh, deepening structures of inequality. And 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 in fact, it's a testament to how, you know, how successful, you know, political movements against racism, against sexism, right? Uh, uh, against oppression in general have been, right? That that is, uh, you know, I, uh, our current president sort of notwithstanding, right, that that, you know, that in general, right, sort of racism, sexism, you know, homophobia are far less publicly, you know, culturally, uh, uh, socially sanctioned. Right. Um, but we, you know, we also can see that uh, uh, we, you know, directly correlate sort of an absence of the T-shirts or the hats you know, being worn uh, uh, around, right? We correlate that with sort of a, a sort of an absolute reduction in systematic inequality, right? Or racism or sexism at our own peril, right? And that we actually need to develop ways of understanding, right? The, the how uh, inequality persists in the absence of those formerly much more easily understood costumes that it's worn. Yeah. So speaking of racism, yeah. <laughs> does that make sense, Brett? Like, it the, does. The, 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 are we? Am I track? Are you tracking? Cool. I am. Um, the uh, I we're almost to that part where I switched to talking about the top three picks, but I really want to hear what you can tell me about 
the protests and and what's happening. I know that uh, in Portland there are like full fledged protests still going on, even in my small town here in Minnesota. We have weekly Black Lives Matters protests happening. Uh, like this is still going, and it feels like the most momentum I in my lifetime have ever seen for for the uh, movement to address racism, especially in the areas of policing. I, I'd be curious to hear anything you can tell me about what's happening now. Oh man, that's uh. <laughs> Well, I would agree that in my lifetime, this is the uh, the the and and I think that that something that can't be lost in the shuffle that that uh um you know that perhaps sometimes is taken for granted that this is the most widely popular movement yeah um against racism in the history of the United States. That that is that is that this is a watershed moment, right? Um, uh, in spite of, you know, what we might be seeing in the mainstream media, right, or what coverage, right, that we're being offered, um, that this is this is by by far <laughs> the most popular movement against racism in the history of this country, and that that is in and of itself, right. Um, uh, something that's important to acknowledge. Now, the popularity of something, right, as as we all well know, right, sort of like we can look at, you know, universal health care or any number of other, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, widely held sort of, uh, uh, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, political aspirations, right, and, and understand that sort of the popularity of something is not directly correlated to how likely it is to, to be able to, you know, sh- turn that corner and, and, and really turn into, to broader institutional change. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that that is, is an important dynamic to understand, right. That we might all, you know, sort of, uh, uh, I think in general, right. Even folks who might be lifelong Republicans, right. Um, you know, acknowledge that there is a problem, right? What what they think the solution is, right, might differ, right? Um, but the very acknowledgement that there is a problem means that we are in fundamentally uncharted waters, right? And so I don't know if I can offer anything, uh, you know, uh, in regards to where we might be going, but I can offer some historical context, right? Yeah. Um, uh, in that, a, there had, you know, just d- regardless of how popular something is, right, it actually needs to to be channeled into, you know, uh, a movement for institutional change that can hold, you know, politicians and legislators accountable, right? Um, and I think you you do see that in 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 local areas, right, in regards to uh, changes in um municipal ordinances around sort of policing, right? And uh, uh, um, in local city councils, sort of uh, uh, changing funding structures, right? Um, and the, you know, the possibility of that being generalized, I think is is an open one, right? It really, really is, um, in large part due to, you know, d- due to the pandemic, due to the insanity of, uh, you know, the, the, the election at the moment. Um, uh, and, uh, um, but what I, what I, you know, what I do want to get across is that there, the protests have not stopped, right? Right. They have not stopped. Like folks are organizing, folks are meeting, folks are pushing across the country. Right. And that, um, in part, that is a reflection, right. Of the black lives matter movement, acknowledging, right. Um, the, the historical reality that, um, uh, you know, a question of conscience must be, you know, uh, uh, turned into an on the ground movement, right? Pushing on those institutional levers to bring about change, right? And, uh, uh, um, you know, and I think that folks, you know, that need to 
you know, begin to live that reality in ways that sort of, uh, you know, and across sort of, uh, 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 you know, the swath of folks who may disagree with how policing has been done in this country, you know, need to begin to live that reality in, in, in ways that they may not have thought, you know, uh, uh, they could or were necessary, um, because they're going to be, right? They're going to be, regardless of who gets elected in the fall, right? Um, I think that an immense amount of pressure is going to need to be brought to bear, right, in order to get in the kinds of institutional change that I think are widely supported. Yeah. If All that right. makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Always, you're always eye-opening talking to you because I can get, <laughs> I can get the perspective of, um, for me, like in-person perspective comes from people living in the same small town I do. And then my perspective from the larger community comes through uh, avenues like Unicorn Riot and uh, online reporting that would bother to still cover the protests beyond, um, you know, shootings and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's 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 good to hear that that you see it as something that's still still strong, still moving forward. Well, it's it's interesting because it's it's. <sighs> In some places, right, things have ebbed, and in some places, things have gone, uh, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, have moved, you know, forward, but forward in different directions, right? Uh, um, uh, you know, some folks have moved into to electoralism, right, to get sort of Black Lives Matters activists elected, right, uh, uh, to positions, and other places disagree with that strategy, right? Right, the the the. You know, the point that I'm making about sort of the 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 you know the real the really profound popularity of of you know of this movement is not to say that sort of racism, you know, doesn't still exist at the same time, but it is to 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 give us a sense of what is, you know, what is at the heart uh, you know, of a, an incredibly heterogeneous political movement, right? With some folks you know, pushing more into the electoral realm and other fo folks, right, keeping folks out on the street, right, and 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 keeping you know, quote unquote, grassroots movement pressures uh, uh, on, and in other places, organizing, uh, uh, um, you know, food drives, right, and other places, organ, you know, that that there is a, a a wide and and varied set of actions that folks in the Black Lives Matter movement are engaged in. Right. That that do not look like the kinds of things that are, you know, widely reported on in the news media. And that in part, right, is, you know, unfortunate that that, you know, that might not be the, the wider understanding, but it is fortunate in the sense that it is that heterogeneity, it is that diffusion, right, and that ability of, of you know, of the movement to, to be able to draw in folks who who you know, may not necessarily agree on what the exact, you know, single thing we should be doing is, you know, nationally, right? And take their interest in wanting to change things and channel that, right, in a way that makes sense locally, but is a part of sort of continuing sort of, a, you know, the, a broader struggle that 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 is, you know, that that is something that I think cannot be lost on us, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, because it it is something that is it is not common <laughs> in American history um, right. uh, and an indication of 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 something, you know, of something special. Right. And that that in these super, super, super darkest timeline times uh, um, that we might look to as as an opportunity, but an opportunity that we ourselves have to, you know, uh, uh, you know, all be engaged in pushing forward wh wherever we are in whatever way we can, right? Um, regardless who, of who gets elected in the fall. Like, you know, and I, I, I say that again because I, I, I think it, it bears uh, a saying in that uh, um, one of the, the, the things that sort of the, the present contemporary, you know, the contemporary sort of political moment, right? One of the lessons that I feel like uh, uh, that a lot of folks are drawing Right is one of um, best, you know, uh, maybe a, 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 a somewhat more blinkered approach, you know, to to, you know, the possibility is of merely, you know, a, a change that's gonna that's gonna happen, 
at the polls in this fall, you pull at the polls, right? Uh, uh, in November rather. And what I want to suggest is that, that the, you know, that that would be a disservice to the momentum and the possibilities that are really, really exist, right? Um, for broader and more fundamental changes, uh, right now that are embodied in the Black Lives Matter, you know, protest movement, right? Which, which went from beginning a couple of years ago, right? Um, uh, you know, being started with sort of concerns that were beyond, but really was sort of, were about sort of a few individual police murders, right? Right. And how they reflected systematic inequalities. And now, right, that that has deepened, you know, that that, that those concerns have deepened in such a way that have, uh, allow us to, to, you know, to make generalizations about, you know, uh, uh, really, you know, popular, right, analyses of, you know, the kinds of changes that are needed in American society writ large, and that that, you know, those seemingly narrow concerns, right, those, uh, uh, you know, quote unquote, special interest group politics, right, yeah. as folks might uh, call them, right, have really, really, really generalized and, and, and swept up, right, a lot of the broader concerns, right, of people outside of that special interest group in a way that, you know, that make things possible uh, uh, beyond November that are otherwise would not be. And I, I, you know, I look forward to that. What kind of stuff is happening down ballot that, uh, that is a direct result of the, the movement? Um, uh, 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 local city council members, right. You have, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, I think the first uh, uh, um, BLM uh, or sort of, uh, you know, w one of the central, movement folks in Ferguson, um, uh, getting elected, uh, um, to Congress. Right. Um, you know, but I think ultimately, you know, the down ballot stuff is, is, uh, you know, is more so largely reflective of the, the, an openness to pressure of folks, right. Um, that otherwise previously sort of, uh, uh, uh would not be there, right. That, 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 constituencies are exerting, you know, because of the, the, you know, because of the, you know, the, the palpable dissatisfaction from, from sort of status quo politics, right. That, 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 that the down ballot sort of, uh, um, possibilities are not necessarily immediately in the form of, of movement folks, right. Um, taking up sort of, uh, 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 electoral sort of candidacies, but more so, right. Movement folks, um, shifting the agenda, of those, uh, those people, but there have, you know, there have been sort of a few like, very, you know, really serious, uh, uh, I would argue sort of, uh, 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 you know, electoral sort of, uh, 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 wins, right. Uh, yeah. um, that have been swayed in large part by, by movement folks, particularly, you know, at, at, in places where, um, you know, conservatism was thought to, 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 to run the day, but I, you know, I, I, uh, um, you know, I, I think that we've got, we've got our hands full, <laughs> yeah. you know, that want to temper sort of like, I am optimistic about the possibilities, but I am also, you know, uh, 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 very sober about sort of the, the, you know, the, the kicking and screaming that will be done in order for us to get where we want to get. Yeah. If only there was as much funding available for the Black Lives Matter movement as you would find for like the Tea Party movement. If we could get it AstroTurf, we'd be set. <laughs> yeah, I know. Why isn't there like a a, a radical my pillow guy <laughs> that would uh, 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 that would be uh, uh, um, you know given the uh, uh, um, you know I guess uh, uh, I was going to make a joke about sort of boot sensitivity, but it's 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 a uh, you know buckwheat <laughs> and pillows, but uh, uh, you know sort of it's gone mainstream. So uh, <laughs> um, all right. Uh, but yeah, so I was going to ask you uh, about, I don't mean, I don't even know if, uh, 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 if uh, um, you can talk about any of it, but uh, uh, what the latest on, uh, on uh, the beta for the app is for NV, uh, NV Ultra. You, no one's asked me that for almost uh, like three hours now, so. <laughs> well, you know, we're the, we are a thirsty bunch, as they say. Well, this this episode's going to come out a couple weeks from the day we're recording it, unless I manage to shuffle it sooner. It could come up. We'll see. Anyway, as of today, which is September 21st, 
it's it's basically ready to go. Um, the beta, I'm still accepting. If people email me directly, I let them on because we've run into delays uh, in our personal lives uh, to have us both on deck for a launch and have everything sorted out. Uh, Fletcher's got a lot going on in his life, in addition to being an ER doctor in the <laughs> oh, middle yeah. of a pandemic. Um, and as soon as we get our our personal lives in order to the to the extent where we feel like we can handle launch week, uh, we will be launching. But I can't put an ETA on that yet because it's a lot of things that are out of my control. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I think it's a feeling maybe that's going around a lot these days. <laughs> I, I am as anxious to get it out, if not more so. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. As, as anyone out there listening, um, it, it hurts me to keep saying, it's almost there. It's almost there. It's, it's, sure. it's as frustrating to me as it is to you. Yeah, I mean, I will let you know that sort of uh, in the interim, you have not been Sherlocked. So uh, <laughs> it's one of the... One of the beautiful things about uh, uh, the, um, you know, the the, it just seems like uh, the the prevalence of sort of uh, uh, text editing apps has not necessarily, uh, uh, um, you know, flattened the curve and right. sort of the difficulty of solving or and or sort of addressing a lot of the problems, uh, yep. <laughs> as evidenced by uh, uh, most of us salivating over a. Uh, um, a an elegant and sort of conceptually sophisticated though pretty simple uh uh, uh app in <laughs> regards to putting letter you know <laughs> yeah. letters in order and uh and organizing them those of us who just want to want everything to be plain text but want an uh, elegant easy way to do that yeah i get yeah. it that's my uh uh um i have uh just a constant push and pull with uh um you know, being an academic, it's, uh, uh, you know, we do a lot of uh, PDFs, right? It's text, right? Uh, it's, uh, you know, annotations for me anyway, sort of like, um, uh, and, uh, um, and it's a, it's still a nightmare. It's still a nightmare. You know, I have, I still have not found, you know, the, the, a, you know, a PDF annotation app that is, um, Simple enough, you know, simple in regards to being able to allow me to use uh, 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 plain text, right? I, yeah. What I need is I need NV Ultra baked into, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever the uh, that uh, that WebKit uh, uh, PDF viewer that they've made open source is uh, something super simple, um, which, uh, um, you know, I may have to set up a, a GoFundMe to, to, to try to get you uh, convinced to... Uh, take that on as the next project i don't know how how difficult it is but <laughs> have you seen have you seen highlights i think that's i have i have i was you know and i was on the beta i uh um it i got a return to it um but it was pretty buggy and uh um and you know i'm i don't want to say inelegant but uh uh um well you're talking about because... plain text interfacing with pdf so it's no, exactly. Elegant would be hard to achieve. It's gonna, it's gonna be a kludge, right? No matter what. Um, but the, uh, um, you know, it's all about minimizing friction, right? And I felt like there was a, just a little bit more, you know, maybe it was like one or two steps more than, uh, um, you know, than, uh, uh, than I felt like it was worth uh, yeah. to to try to shift over uh, to that. But I'll I'll play around with it again and uh, uh, and I'll yeah. get back to you. Like about, I don't uh, I don't have like I found the idea interesting and the execution seemed well done but i don't i don't need to annotate pdfs so i have no metric by which to judge the app so i would i would take your uh your your judgment means more than mine does yeah i mean it's also a very strange thing because it's so uh um idiosyncratic and like you know most people's research methods for instance when I'm teaching a class, um, uh, having a uh, you know a an annotated PDF in front of me um, is incredibly useful because I have the you know I have the class we're going over the uh, um, you know the the article and I'll be able to refer them to here or there. But it's actually quite a different thing that I need when I'm um, when I'm writing up research or I'm doing research. Right, uh, all I need for that is uh, uh, a. Uh, you know, snippets of, uh, um, you know, the highlighted or sort of pertinent, uh, text and, uh, um, 
and so you know i'm uh the special little snowflake might not warrant his own uh, uh boutique artisanal uh <laughs> app yeah yeah all right well that brings us to the top three picks Oh man, I I was I have been racking my brain trying to find um you know, trying to find three things that I thought would be novel or interesting and I'm not um I I've got two. And so I I know that you have been doing you know, sort of uh uh it's kind of like a a a, a Quaker prayer meeting version of top top picks that you're only speaking of the spirit moves you i i, I have a third <laughs> one for you oh you I, do I'll, I'll take your third pick if you don't want it well uh how about how about we go back and forth yeah. i will say i don't know if folks are i mean and this is this is a, a, apropos of absolutely you know maybe i'll give a bonus pick and give you some uh, um some reading materials in uh, uh, in the area of sort of uh, 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 race and algorithms at the end, um, and maybe I'll add those on to, to so you can toss them in the show notes. But I'm going to do a uh, um, a uh, a soul food or a, a pick for the pick for the uh, for the weary uh, uh, <laughs> for the the weary among us, um, and suggest I for a long long time, for one reason or another, avoided watching the t- the television show Shit's Creek. Um, which is uh, made by uh, Eugene Levy of uh, SCTV, uh, uh, you know, the long time, I think he was on SNL. He's the bushy eyebrowed guy from all the Christopher Guest movies from like mm-hmm. Best in Show and um, A Mighty Wind and whatnot. Hilarious comedian. So him and his son uh, wrote this TV show, which I think, if I'm not mistaken, is on Netflix. Um which is about a super wealthy family who lose their money and um, have to move to a town that uh, uh, that that the father bought for the son as a birthday gag gift because mm-hmm. the IRS repossesses their all of their uh, uh, assets because they were involved. You know, their, uh, you know, accountant was involved in some Ponzi scheme or something. And it's just four seasons of this, you know, hilarious uh, uh, fish out of water type, you know, uh, uh, show that is just incredibly heartwarming at the same time as being incredibly sharp, acerbic and cynical. Um, if that makes sense. Um, and it seems incredibly appropriate for these times. So I'm going to suggest Shit's Creek. It swept, it cleaned up at the Emmys last night. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, uh, a, uh, uh, <laughs> Not not particularly off the beaten path, but I, I had resisted watching it for a long time. I have no, I have no idea why. And I I absolutely loved it yeah. um, because it didn't force me to to uh, leave my cynicism behind <laughs> in order to uh, uh, enjoy the uh, uh, the, you know, the sort of very heartfelt and uh, and and warm uh, um, dynamics that it sort of eventually gets to. Yeah. I, I adore that show. I've watched it since oh, okay. the first season showed up on Netflix, which I think might have been, uh, I think two seasons might have shown up at the same time because um, it was originally a pop TV production. And that's I don't, right. I don't recall exactly, but I watched, I, I remember watching two seasons, like binge watching it and then anxiously awaiting each season after I've loved it the whole time. I liked it before it was cool. No, I'm just kidding. It's it's a great show. <laughs> I definitely I really did guess. not. I, I didn't I did not like it before it was cool. <laughs> uh all right. How about you? You got a you got a pick? I am super so I think you were cognizant of the fact that I had started reading Octavia Butler. Yeah. And I was getting into at that point uh black female sci-fi, uh, which as I mentioned this morning on Overtired, um which hasn't come out yet, but um, I didn't realize it was a genre that existed. It's not something I would have assumed that there were good black female sci-fi writers for a lot of innately racist and misogynist reasons. But it turns out there are uh, a lot of really, really good uh, from African futurism to uh, vampire fiction coming from black female writers. And the one that I went through, uh, Octavia Butler, and then a bunch from N.K. Jemison, 
And I just started the Binti trilogy from Neti Okorafor. Oh, yeah. And it is so good. I yeah. love her. Yeah, it is a amazing. I mean, isn't that wonderful when you, uh, you know, there's a whole, you know, swath of amazing, amazing sort of art that in in really, really profound ways, like, you know, you feel like uh, uh, was just waiting for you. Yeah. Right. To stumble, you know, sort of like, you know, slip, slip backwards and sort of luckily land in a pile of poop or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, it, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, uh, and I, I think I'm trying to think they're adapting sort of, uh, I think, uh, uh there's they're, a development deal at HBO for, yeah, for adapting. Who, who Fears Death is being developed by HBO. And uh, if, if I recall correctly, she mentioned on Twitter that Binti was being adapted for uh, Hulu. That's my recollection. I couldn't find uh, a reference for that, though. Um, so now I'm going to have three because you just uh, uh, kindled in my mind uh, a, uh, <laughs> um, uh, a uh, uh, um, uh, recommendation. Um, it is a film, if you're interested in black sci-fi... Um, uh, it's by, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting in that, uh, um, uh, directed by John Sayles, um, a white guy, um, it's called brother from another planet. Um, and it's, uh, it was made in 1984. Um, and, uh, it's about an alien, um, uh, um, an enslaved alien who, uh, uh, comes to, to, uh, comes to earth, um, on the run from his home planet and lands in Harlem. Um, and he can't speak, um, but he's being pursued by these, uh, uh, these two, uh, um, slave catchers from his planet. And it's about, you know, him navigating, uh, um, life in Harlem as an, you know, as an, an alien slave who, who, uh, um, who looks like an, uh, a black human, um, in Harlem, you know, in the eighties. <laughs> um and it's it's it is brilliant um and the uh the lead is played by uh um by joe morton um uh who uh um recently of uh uh scandal fame and oh, yeah, or yeah. um uh what else gosh he was in uh um he plays cyborg's father in all of the new dc reboots um and actually incidentally uh uh narrated the audiobook of the best ver uh, audiobook version of uh, the invisible man uh, that i have ever heard cool i do like his um, voice i would listen to that oh, well, oh gosh yeah if uh, maybe we can sort of have a book club of uh, invisible man it's sort of one of the great works of uh, uh, uh maybe humanity <laughs> and i used to live up the block in harlem from uh, um uh ralph ellis where out Al ralph ellison uh, um lived for uh, most of the end of his life um so my last pick is a deep cut um longtime listeners of uh uh of the show should uh uh you know be familiar with the name uh, Merlin Mann um and uh uh who uh, uh in many ways good and bad uh, uh is someone that I came across uh gosh I don't even know how long ago I mean he's old um <laughs> and if I'm like kind of getting old then he's like really really old uh um but but this was uh, uh um uh I came across him I guess like right maybe a year before he started doing you know maybe a year and a half before you know on on uh, eighty five folders or whatever his uh, forty three fifty six or twelve twelve folders thirteen maybe uh, 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 yeah thirteen folders um and I uh. I came across his work right when I, I think we talked about on the last podcast that I, uh, um, you know, kind of had a life and then, uh, <laughs> went back to school when I was a little older and I, I came across, uh, his work on, a, on, on his website and he'd done, you know, a couple of, of talks, um, on inbox zero. And, uh, um, while I didn't, you know, sort of have much for, for, you know, in the way of a need for email management at the time, um, I was really struck about by his, you know, his take on work and, you know, I don't, I don't even know if people sort of like use the phrase knowledge work in a serious, you know, without like a, a smirk anymore. 
Um, uh, though at the time, the idea, uh, you know, sort of was was very compelling, and and his um, kind of land of broken toys approach uh, <laughs> to to using himself and his failures and his own experiments as a, as a means of offering something to people struggling in the same way was, uh, um, was really, really important for me as sort of, as I felt like I was trying to, you know, figure out how to be a college student and then sort of in graduate school. And, and, uh, um, and he, there's a piece that he wrote in particular, um, that, you know, that fans of his sort of will be familiar with, um, uh, it is called, um, cranking. Uh, and so, he wrote someone it. just sent that to me a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I yeah. You know why? Because it's perfect. It's, it is perfect for the, for this moment right now that we're in, in that, um, for, for long story short, uh, um, uh, in, in, in retrospect, I think sort of like the impression that I get is, 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 you know, he had, a very ill-considered book contract in which he was supposed to write a book about productivity and nominally what his editors and sort of publishing company wanted was a book about email. And, uh, um, you know, anybody who has followed sort of his career knows that the last thing on on earth that that Merlin should like would ever want to write is, is, is a book about email. Uh, um, uh, so in retrospect, it, it, it seems hilarious to consider um, but as someone who was sort of muddling through, you know, my own sort of return to professional life and struggling with many of the things that he was struggling with in terms of writing and whatnot um, and producing, um, uh, there was a moment in which, you know, I think that uh, uh, things came to a head about sort of a decision of, uh, of whether or not to move forward with this book, which this project, which seemed like the culmination of of you know, many, many years of hard work and, and, you know, and a, a, you know, and sort of, uh, uh, this goal, this mountain, right. That he seemingly, right. Had thought, you know, he was supposed to be climbing and a moment in which he, you know, realized that it was not, it was the, you know, as he says, sort of like, uh, the, uh, uh it's good to have a ladder, but sort of even better to, to, you know, have the sense to, to know whether your ladder is leaned up against the right wall. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, the, the, the piece cranking is, is, is kind of a, a, a beautifully written, I think meditation on, on, you know, that habitual practice of what does it mean that every day, every moment we all have to be figuring out whether or not our ladder is propped up against the 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 right wall, right? Before we figure out, right, uh, uh, um, whether or not our ladder is is appointed in the proper way, yeah. right? Um, and that in this moment where we're all being forced, I think, or at the very least, the 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 you know, the show the the dynamics of the show must go on, are pushing us all away from from sitting with you know, a reckoning with the, the fundamental changes and transformations that, that are going on around us and, and the, the just quite frankly, insane circumstances, right. That we're undergoing that this is a, you know, it's a piece that I turned back to and, and, you know, it was powerful in its, you know, in the, the brevity, right. Uh, uh, you know, in which it, it offers you that, gentle shock to the system of, you know, a reminder that says, you know, it, it's not just okay to think about whether or not your ladder's propped up against the right wall, but it's actually the only way for you to live your life in a way that is, you know, uh, um, you know, is going to be fulfilling to you and the people around you and the people with whom you want to live it with. Right. Um, I, I, yeah, it's, uh, it always struck me, but, but, you know, it's, uh, uh, evergreen, um, but particularly apt for the moment in which we are, in which we're all, you know, facing that pressure of, uh, uh, you know, being pushed towards scaling a mountain that, that everyone seems really convinced we should be scaling, um, uh, and what we might, see that would otherwise be obscured if we take a moment to, you know, see if that ladder's up against the right wall. 
It's easy to forget how good a writer Merlin Mann is. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah. All right. Well, tell people how they can find you or or contact you or whatever yeah. info you want to share. Well, I hate social media, so don't find me. No, I'm kidding. Um, you you know, I've got a website, uh, um, which I'll be uh, uh, straightening up. Uh, um and, uh, you know, uh, uh, as many people sort of like, uh, yeah, I should be launching my own sort of, uh, <laughs> my own blog or something soon enough. Probably not. I'm trying to stay away from the, the dumpster fire that is Twitter. Um, uh, you can find me at jaredrodriguez.com. Uh, um, and I, um, you know, there'll be an email link there. If folks want to follow up. Uh, 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 and I do encourage folks if you're interested in, you know, in sort of some of the the academic subjects that we discussed um, uh, to take a look at uh, the show notes, uh, because I'll be sending uh, Brett some recommendations about uh, initiatives and and books and, you know, some talks from some really knowledgeable folks, much more knowledgeable than I um, uh, about, uh, you know, the really, really interesting work that's going on in, you know, the field of race and algorithmic justice. Excellent. All right. Um, well, thanks for your time today. Oh, no worries. Thank you. That's actually a lot we didn't get to that was on my list to talk about. So we may have to do this again soon. Oh, you know, I would be so psyched to come back uh, because I feel like the first time we did, uh, we did this, I was in completely incoherent because my kids were very, very, very young <laughs> and I, I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> um, and this time you're catching me in the midst of a, a global pandemic. So I'm a little afraid <laughs> of what kind of mad, mad, mad Max post-apocalyptic hellscape we'll be uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, Skype from or Skype through uh, the next time. Yeah, who knows? Guess yeah. we'll wait and see. Yeah, yeah. Well, All thank right. you, Brett. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Systematic. Check out more episodes at systematicpod.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Find me as TT Scoff on all social platforms and follow Systematic at Systemcast, S-Y-S-T-M-C-A-S-T on Twitter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>